Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Lorraine, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I'm glad you called. How can I help you? Well, I have a house in Ailey built in around the 70s. Um, I had a couple of different questions for you. I have a granite countertop. It's kind of like a galley kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, and it's got like a four-inch black splash that was kind of connected by a clear stuff. I don't know what it was, but it's separating now. The sink behind the sink is kind of like falling down a little bit. And the backsplash is staying where it is. So now there's a big gap. And um, I had someone come over that told me I needed to jack it up. That if I jacked it up, then he could <laughs> then he could give me. Uh, I don't know what he was going to give me, but I'm like I don't know how to jack it up. Do you, does that make sense to you? Jack it up. You know, I'm really wondering how it's sagging because if it's granite, it 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 would span across without sagging. Well. Um, I had some foundation issues, so that could be a problem. Um, I, I'm not positive of that, but I had my foundation done around 20 years ago, and, of course, it was a company that was supposed to guarantee it for life, but I couldn't get them to come out, so I had to have somebody else come out and do sure. it. Um, that that really I shouldn't can't... play into it, though, because granite, it, it, granite is rigid. I mean, it... it yeah. Well, if you if you can picture in your mind the backsplash separating from the, the the flat granite, right? You know, and when they originally put it in, they put in that clear—I don't know what you call it—it's it's a siliconized caulk. There you go. That's what it was. And yeah. now there's like I could stick my pinky finger in there. Yeah, and, and that shouldn't be happening. And is it the, neither one of those pieces of material should be able to move enough to do that. There's got to be something else going on that's allowing that, and I'm really what, questioning. What could that possibly be? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. That music means I got to take a quick break. I'm gonna put you on hold. When we come back, we'll discuss what else it could be because, uh, yeah, I'm really you got you got some things we got to discuss there and take care of. Okay, so here's what's confusing me on it: the backsplash okay. should be rigid. That has zero give for going up and down if it's granite. The countertop itself actually has really no support going across uh, where the sink goes. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. There is a little board on the backside. But even if that board was completely gone, granite uh, ha- has no flexibility. If it, if it would start sagging like that, it should break. So I'm questioning if it's a granite or if it's a man-made material that looks like granite. No, it's definitely granite. Okay. It's absolutely granite. It's not expensive granite, but it's granite. And it is, um, it's separating. You know, the backsplash from the, sink, from the, from the flat, you know, goes to the right. edge of to the wall, and it's separating. But only, at, only so, by the sink, right? Only right behind the sink, correct. Yeah. Well, if you wanted to jack it up, I mean, it's pretty simple. You you just got to get under the sink and push it back up and then put a brace there and, to hold it up. But I, I just... 
What kind of a brace? Uh, wood. A, like wood, like a piece of wood. That's, That's the, it. I told my husband, I said, why don't we just get under there with a rubber hammer and bang it up and nail Ooh, it don't do that. in there. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Well, he just no. started laughing at me. He said, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, he was right. Okay. Uh, if you All did right. that, if you did that, that, that granite would crack. Okay. Uh, and, and break on you. And I'm really surprised that it sagged like that and hasn't already got some cracks showing. So it's going to have to be gently pushed back up, and then you just literally nail that brace to the wall to hold it up in place. Okay. I have one more question for sure. you if you have time. Um, in these 70 houses in a leaf, they had... Uh, the area where the living room and the dining room separated, and there was like a half a wall, and um, they had the spindles, like four spindles that look like a bottom of a chair. Do you know what yep. I mean? Yes, ma'am. Can I just remove them? And I mean, because they just really date the place. It does. Can you just now, cut them off, or can the, you what? At the what end, does do? it have does it have a bigger, like a four by four or something at the end? going up or is it the spindles all the way on the bottom no i'm talking about from the from the half wall going up yeah there's a piece of wood like a like a piece of furniture like the same wood like a flat piece of wood and then the spindles are connected to that on the bottom and then right. to the ceiling but the the very last one uh at the end away from the wall where it's uh-huh. you know coming on is is that a spindle one as well, or is that like a four by four? They're all they're spindles. All okay, if they're all spindles, then you should be fine. Uh, the reason I'm being so specific on that, in some cases, it is a support, and that last one is a four by four to add support to hold up a beam up above. But if it's all spindles, they were not used as support; those are strictly decorative. Now, so can I just cut them flat off at the bottom? Well, what you're going to find is they're typically not into that board that's at the bottom. They're just nailed into it. And so literally just knock the spindles out, and you're going to see nails coming up that you're going to have to pull through or or cut off. uh, And then you can sand it down and paint it or whatever. Okay. That's wonderful. I also, um, unless you have another call, I also have I do, but I'm going to let you ask one more. Okay, I have a rock fireplace that goes in the 70s house. Uh-huh. And in the front, um, it's got a big chip in it. Like It looks like a half moon coming out of one of the uh, five um, kind of flat rocks that are in front of the hearth. Okay. Can I shave the rest of them off to match that, or do I have to take that out and replace the stone completely? I'm not sure how you would shave it off. Okay. Anything Just you would, if if it's rock, anything you would do to try to knock it down runs a huge risk of just breaking it. Okay, so it's best just to have a professional come cut it out and put in a new one. Yep. All right. Thank you so much, Tracy. This is Jim. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you. Um, my question is: um, several times after I have run our clothes dryer. We have found um, dryer lint out in the yard, and I cleaned the, you know, the dryer vent that you take out from the top of the dryer. I cleaned that, Um, 
but somebody said that no you need to go up on top of the roof clean that out um and that it's a fire hazard if that's not cleaned out occasionally is that very where true do we go from there very okay. very true in fact more house fires are started from those dryer vent pipes than people mm-hmm. ever imagine. I mean, it's it's up there in the top three things that start house fires. Um, mm. The dryer vent pipe is supposed to be cleaned out like at least once a year. And the longer the pipe, the more likely it is it's going to have stuff. Like at my own house, for instance, I've got the dryer up against an outside wall. And so it's only got to go through the thickness of the wall and then the, mm-hmm. the tube itself to get there. That's it. Right, not a, and that's not what a, we've always had. Yeah, and so not it's not now. a big problem to, to keep that one clean. But when you have mm-hmm. one that goes up into the attic and then out or straight up to the roof and stuff, yeah, those have to be cleaned mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And if you, if you go to the box stores like Lowe's and Home Depot, they, mm-hmm. they'll actually have a kit for cleaning them. It's it's nothing but a, a rod with a, looks like a chimney type brush on it that you can drop down and you hook a shop vac at one end, you run the tube down to where it's loosening all the stuff and getting sucked out through the shop vac and that's all that's involved. Okay. Now, neither one of us are in any have any business getting on the roof. Let's okay. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so where would we find someone to do that type of work? Uh, actually, uh, companies who do vent cleaning will do that oh, as okay. well. Terry, how can I help you? Yes, sir. I've got a, uh, my, uh, I've got a two-car garage and the, the floating in the tape on all the seams in my ceiling has started to peel off. Not the okay. walls, but just the ceiling. Well, before I have it fixed, I want to see what the problem's causing it so it doesn't reoccur. Now, granted, the house is 20 years old, so I know there's some wear and tear, but I didn't expect the all the yeah. joints in the sheetrock to showing it's a uh, humidity and uh you know it's just if it would have been dry for the last 20 years it probably wouldn't have peeled off like that but sure you we've had a lot of wet years and it just softens it up and lets it go well would it would it help to insulate over the garage the no that actually that? would probably make it worse because uh and let Unless you're heating and cooling a space, insulation actually holds the temperatures and stuff right. where where you don't want it to, to hold it. In other words, it, the heat will get into that insulation and carry it on through the night, keeping it hot. So uh, it, it's just one of the downsides of sheetrocking garages. You know, if you go back into the 50s and 60s, they didn't sheetrock them because it, it just didn't doesn't hold up. Right. But we like things nice and pretty nowadays, so we sheetrock them and end up having to redo them. Okay. Is there a specific type of paint or, I mean, uh, tape and mud that we should use when we, when we redo all the joints? Nope, just a, a standard one. And uh, make sure you, you know, 
paint it with a primer and, and seal and paint, uh, put regular paint on it and stuff, and that'll help extend the life of it as well. Usually, okay. 20 years is kind of young. Uh, was the garage painted? It was a uh, that uh, shell white. Okay. Looked like a primer, I guess. Yeah, because normally you get like 35, 40 years before it really becomes a big issue, but uh, it, it's common to have to redo them. Okay. Okay. Well, I do appreciate your information. You bet. Erwin, you there? Oh, how about uh, if I hit the button? It works better that way. Sorry about that. Yeah. Hello, Jim. How are you? Yeah. Good, good. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, Thank you, sir. Yeah. I'm putting together uh, our building a small brick grotto outside, you know, like three by four, about seven foot high. So um, I got the the base and the walls right, uh, all put together. Now I'm trying to build like an arc um, you know, roof over it. And I noticed the concrete, concrete premix I, I've been using, um, there's no stickiness at all. So I was wondering if there's something I can add to the concrete to make it at least more sticky so when I build the arch, the brick will at least hold together while it's curing. No, there's nothing that makes it uh, sticky. Typically, when you're building an arch, uh, you're literally building it on both sides coming up at the same time and meeting it in the middle. And a lot of times what they have to do is put stuff to support it. Build a little arch Uh in there to support it that it can sit on that you can pull out after you get the last brick in. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think some of the YouTube channels where they just like you know stick the brick on you know at a horizontal and it's just saying I'm it, just wondering are you yep. using kind of mortar or something? Yeah. Now the drier, if you the more water you put into it, uh, the right. less it's going to hold. So keep it uh, drier and it'll do better for you. Okay. So the best deal is just really build some kind of preform to at least hold the bricks in place if you- if you need to but a lot of times it, it, you know if, like i say if you build it as you're coming up and just have the the two pieces meet in the middle uh right you're you're able to to do it without having to support a, uh, of any kind yeah okay okay yeah kind of the mortar doesn't even stick at all i mean you butter the side it's like slide right off <laughs> so yeah like, that's just the way they put the premix together yeah could be yeah, yeah. all righty okay Thank you very much. I have black mold in one AC vent. Cleaned up at vent end, what is cause and what can be done to fix it? Well, and and again, I say this all the time. This is a great example of why I like to dialogue, why I like the calls to come in. Because the question I would be asking, first of all, is did you remove the vent cover? And was there any of this mold inside the vent or was it strictly on the cover itself because believe it or not that can tell tale of what could be going on the other big question is going to be what room is this in and honestly this is very common in bathrooms and a lot of times it gets strictly on the vent cover itself and it's nothing more than the the humidity in the bathroom from showers and stuff like that the cold air coming through the vent you know, mixing the airs together forms moisture. You get moisture on the the uh, vent there, and you start getting some mold. Vice versa, if it's any other room, and it can be a bathroom as well, but if you do have some just on the inside, it can be that the insulation isn't coming all the way down where it's coming into the room. In other words, the... The flex ducts that we use has a pipe inside a tube. 
and the tube has insulation and the outer basically mylar type finish on it it's the radiant barrier looking stuff well sometimes they'll hook up the tube to the boot that comes through the sheetrock and they don't get that insulation pulled all the way down and then they fail to get insulation packed around it on from the attic itself again you got cold air meeting warm air doesn't matter if it's the cold air in the attic with warm air in the duct or vice versa warm air in the attic cold air going through the duct when cold air meets warm air it sweats and that can allow the mold to grow and either one of those cases it's a matter of just cleaning the mold right there and being done with it you know it's, it's too often we start worrying oh this, this is going to be that uh, black mold it's going to kill us all it, it's not homes have had mold in them forever and a day are there bad molds you bet but not every mold is a bad mold for us. But you do need to clean these up. Don't don't leave it go. Now, if the whole duck is full of it, well, that's a different story. It can be duck work that dates back into the 80s where it had a plastic covering and those that plastic covering deteriorated, opens up, and the insulation falls off of the duct inside which allows everything to sweat and yes you start getting mold in there then it's a matter of replacing that duck and more than likely if that one's old gray flex so is the rest of the house and probably needs to be replaced as well the last thing you know people need to be worried about doing is getting the whole ac system taken apart and all the duct work cleaned and everything like that does it need to be checked absolutely but it doesn't mean it all needs to be cleaned duct work is way over cleaned it's really not made to be cleaned on a regular basis remember all the air that goes through there is filtered air and so it doesn't necessarily need to be cleaned all the time but if it's really just on the register clean it put it back together and be done with it uh, may this happen again absolutely but if it's not reaching way up into the duck it really won't be anything to be overly worried about this came from Mike in Frisco. Hi, Jim. Have an indoor fireplace that has metal walls. This is a wood-burning fireplace. In the back, I discovered a hole about the size of a quarter. I inserted a screwdriver in the hole. And I think there is another piece of metal about two inches back. How much of a problem is this hole? My main concern is a fire breaking out in the chimney. Can this be repaired by me putting a metal patch over it many thanks mike well mike if this is a rust hole or something like that that went through it don't use the fireplace anymore because yes this is extremely dangerous and it's not that you're going to be looking at a chimney fire what happens is these metal boxes uh the fireplace itself beyond that box is all two by four studs and such very flammable it will catch fire and yes that hole if it's a rust hole can allow the flames to get back in there where they should not be so uh, if this like i said is a rust hole shut it down immediately now in some rare cases and again this is why i like to talk to you that hole could be for a pipe to come through for a gas line or something like that so it's going to depend on where the line is and does it look like it's a cut line or does it look or cut hole rather or does it look like it's a rust hole 
and really you'll be able to tell by the edges you know if they're kind of jaggedy and sharp that definitely is going to be rusted if it's uh nice clean and you can feel the thickness of the metal and stuff hey then it was drilled that way and you can probably go ahead and cover the hole and be okay but i'm not going to tell you just cover it without knowing whether it's rust or not because here's the thing if it is a rust hole chances are real good the rest of the metal box is rusty as well and you just don't need to be taking that kind of chance so mike be careful with that one and uh, more than likely if it was mine i would quit using it and get an inspection uh, from a chimney sweep out there and one they can clean the chimney make sure you don't have a bunch of creosote build up in that but also let them take a look at it and let you know if it's a problem or not when we left i was talking with uh steven frisco and steve you there still yes sir okay you know you, you mentioned the fact that you, this driveway was 15 years old yeah and is already cracking up so the, you know the rebar that i mentioned a minute ago number three rebar that's critical to keep that from happening because all concrete cracks by nature steel holds it together when it cracks the other thing is on the edges especially the outside edge i always put a turn down uh, in other words instead of just coming straight across with four inches dig down a little bit further so the edge has a turn down of six or eight inches that keeps water from being able to just wash up underneath the edge as it rains and runs down the side of the driveway um Okay. And, you know, you were asking about the, the base material. You've already got mm -hmm. an existing driveway that they're going to take out. The depth, if the driveway was four inches thick like it should be, is already set. And it's rare that you see one that's thicker than it should be. So if it's only three inches, the choice is going to be you either got to make the concrete higher or shave the soil off a little bit. There really shouldn't be a need for a bunch of base material under this driveway okay because it's it's already there and if it was poured to four inches thickness the first time it's going to be a matter of take the old concrete off just flatten it out a little bit underneath there and re-pour okay all right well i will certainly uh, uh take your advice and give you guys a call okay and uh have you guys come out and take a look at it sounds good i appreciate that Take care, Steve. Thank you so much. You bet. I, I do appreciate that I have the, the mesh. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I can guarantee you you have mesh because builders don't use rebar. It costs money. Okay. Well, thanks again so <laughs> very much for your help. You bet. Take care. And and keep that in mind. You know, people always bring up, oh, a builder told me it, it should be this. Builders go the dirt cheapest way they can go, especially track builders when they're building. And so wire mesh is fast, it's inexpensive, and they move on to the next one. Rebar, each stick has to be tied in place and all that stuff. It just takes a little bit longer to put it in. But think about the thickness of the, the steel. The wire mesh is very thin. You know, it's like an eighth inch. So you do a number three rebar, which is only three-eighths of an inch, but when you look at those two side by side, that's a night and day difference on the strength of it. And you can put it on chairs and stuff. It's rigid enough that even if you step on it, it's not pushing it to the bottom underneath the concrete. 
It's just a better way to do it. Kevin, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, hello, Jim. How are you today? Wonderful. How about you? Well, it's wonderful, nice, and very windy. Yes, it is. (laughs) I've got uh, gable ends that I'm trying to replace the uh, old board and batten. It's a 50-plus-year-old home, the old board and batten, cedar board and batten siding on. And I'm looking for some information on the cement backer board or cement board similar to James Hardy, not necessarily that brand, but either way. Uh, Is there an insurance break on installing that type of product? Not that I'm aware of. Um, Now, there could be, so you want to make sure you ask because there is an insurance break for uh, like uh, brick siding and and stuff like that, and definitely let your insurance company know that you have it, so you may yeah. get a, a a little bit of a break because it does keep a house from catching fire when ambers hit it and stuff like that. Sure, sure. But I'm not sure if they, if and even if one doesn't, another one might offer. Right, it. right. Okay, yeah. Well, that answers my next question. Then and, and, and the next question being, what percentage of your house would have to be that? To my guess, it would probably be all or nothing. You know, my office and everything won't be that. So they would probably want you. uh, Any tips to installing that stuff? Because, you know, I've seen some new cutters come along that cut it differently and everything with with less dust. But how accurate are those? They're very uh, accurate. uh, But I'm going to tell you, if you're going to do just one job, if you can, you can either get a saw blade that's made for hardy siding, or a carbon tooth blade. Yeah, will definitely take care of doing one house with no problem at all. Make okay. sure you wear a dust mask because it, sure. it does have silica dust in it. But other than that, uh, the other thing is when you're installing it, make sure that your ends aren't totally tight. Uh, you know, you do have to have space for caulking to get in between them because it is concrete. It will expand and contract. If you make okay. it too tight, uh, it will give you a little bit of a problem later. But other than that, okay. it installs just like wood. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. It's uh, from Andy in Springtown. He says, what product do you recommend to refinish a fiberglass bathtub? I don't. There, there's not one. Uh, fiberglass tubs, when they go bad, it, it's really just take them out and put a new one in. The problem with a fiberglass tub that you don't have with a cast iron or steel tub, they're very flexible. And so virtually any material you put on there uh, has a... Has, just not going to stay because the flexibility of the fiberglass itself makes it where it can peel off. But on top of that, they're just not durable enough. You know, by the time it's fading and and looking bad and all that stuff, it's time to get rid of it. Your expected lifespan of one of the fiberglass or plastic tubs and things like that, if you get between 20 to 30 years out of it, that's it. You're going to be pretty much done with that tub, and it's time to install a new one. Where when you put in a cast iron tub, you got a tub that'll last forever. Granted, someday you may have to redo the finish on it, but the tub itself 
can stay. Where with the other materials, that's just not the case. Uh, it's time to take them out and, and replace them. And I get the question quite often, you know, can I repair a fiberglass tub when it cracks and stuff? No, it's trash. It, it's just time to get rid of it at that point. Let's head to Lake Jackson. and Noah, how are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm calling. I have some cracks that have developed between my crown molding and ceiling. Okay. And specifically in my dining room, I have a coffered ceiling, and the cracks have gotten pretty substantial, maybe a quarter inch. Okay. And I'm wondering if just caulk it up and repaint it, or if there's something bigger going on I need to look into. Are there any cracks in the sheetrock or any anywhere else, anything else going on besides just the crown molding? I have um, a couple cracks. In the sheetrock, but it's not where the crown molding is splitting um, mm-hmm. or the ceiling's coming away from it. It's in, like, you know, the hallway adjacent and the living room across the way. Okay. And diagonal above windows and doors, or, or what are they? Following the sheetrock joints? They they follow the sheetrock Okay. Joints. If they're following the sheetrock joints, uh, chances are real good you're not having foundation movement. Are we talking about a house that's less than five years old? No, it's just 10 years or so. Oh, wait, okay. it was built. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it being a foundation issue. doesn't sound like a structural issue. Uh, you, when you ask, you know, should you just go ahead and caulk it and forget about it, that's exactly what I would do with it. It's very common as crown molding dries out and shrinks a little bit for it to get some gaps. Uh, sometimes they're bigger than others. For it to be a quarter inch... It may be as simple as it wasn't fastened very well in the get-go. So reach up there, and if it's loose, you may have to refasten it before you caulk it. But, yeah, nothing I'd lose any sleep over. Okay. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. Jerry, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you, Jim. Happy Sunday. (laughs) Thank you, sir. I'm helping my son. He's uh, replacing a... uh, a, a commode and I've been looking at uh, like at Home Depot and Lowe's at, at the Kohler. Yeah. They they start at like 169 and they give a description of what to do and then you go to 229 and they tell you they swirl and swirl and then they just keep going up and up yeah. and up and up. Do you uh, what I mean if, if the, the two the Two twenty nine sounded just exactly like the two sixty nine. So, uh, do you, can you give me any idea of, of where the stopping point is? <laughs> uh, well, it depends. <laughs> if you want to go all the way up to a Toto toilet, you can pay five hundred dollars for a place to sit and take care of business. But uh, you know, in the end, they all do the same thing. The water swirls and stuff goes down the pipe. So the main differences that you have to look for in the toilets is, one, the height of, of where you're sitting. Uh, because they're, basically you got the low, you got a, a medium, then you got the handicap height. Uh, and then you got your elongated bowls versus round. But the big difference you find box stores versus plumbing supply houses is in the glazing of the toilet itself. And... 
a lot of times it, the toilets in the box store, the the neck that uh, where the S-trap is built into the toilet there doesn't have glazing in it. And so it can tend to slow stuff down and wear out sooner than when you go to get one from a plumbing store that everything is glazed all the way through. Uh, it just makes a difference how fast stuff flows out of it. Um, but I'll I, be honest with you, I'm not going to say don't buy a toilet from the box stores. That's that's just what the biggest difference is in them. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly wasn't aware of that. I, I thought uh, colder was a colder. The American standard was American standard, but yeah, and, and uh, no, it's not. You'll get the better ones at the plumbing supply. It's it's kind of like buying a uh, John Deere lawnmower. There, um, if you go to a regular John Deere store, the sheet metal that's used on the mower deck is heavier. Uh, there's a little difference in the gears, plastic versus uh, metal. Things like that that you don't really see, it's still a John Deere tractor, but because the box stores want everything so cheap, the manufacturers have to dumb their products down in order to sell them in the box stores. All right. Well, if you, you'd have to, you'd need to find a plumber then that you can depend on to not buy it from Home Depot, but get it. Through a plumbing no, supply house, or you something? you as an individual can go into a supply house and get them. Oh, I can. Oh yeah, yeah. They're, uh-uh. uh, you know, it's it's they sell to the public, so you don't have to to buy from the box store or from a plumber. I mean, Ferguson's will sell to you. Um, more plumbing supply, Morrison, uh, all all the different plumbing supply stores are. A lot of them have even showrooms where you can go in and look at the different ones and and choose what you want. And you know he he did hit on on a good thing there though. Uh, Kohler, American Standard, those are all great brands when it comes to toilets and bathroom fixtures and and things like that. Uh, but like I said, they do have to dumb their products down a little bit in order to compete in the box stores. And that's that's what the box stores require because they don't want anything that's not going to move fast. And that's the reason when we all depend on just getting everything from the box stores, it can become a problem getting better products elsewhere. Uh, And quite frankly, if you've got plumbers who are picking up their materials from the box stores, now I'm not talking about going in and picking up a section of pipe or something like that. That's all going to be the same. I'm, I'm talking about stuff, though, that is faucets. Faucets are a great example. The different it, You can have two Delta faucets, faucets, identical number on them, parts numbers and everything. The one from a plumbing supply house is brass inside. The one from uh, Lowe's or Home Depot is plastic. That's where the difference comes in. Even though it's a, a Delta 28379 at both places, it's not identical parts inside. And so you have to be careful. And where people run into a problem with that is, uh, you know, I've talked with some of the supply houses, and people will try to come into the parts house. They'll buy that Delta faucet. They'll buy one then at the 
uh, Lowe's or Home Depot and try to return that one to the supply house because it costs them less and they're, they're trying to uh, get the money back on that difference. Well, just pick the two up side by side and you feel the weight difference. And so the minute they take it into a plumbing supply house, they say, no, sorry, guy, this is not a plumbing supply house faucet. This is from a box store. They know the difference. Our home is 11 foot high on pilings. Open floor joists has insulation boards, two inches thick, and uh, floors are cold. What can we do? If you've already got the foam insulation board and the floors are still too cold for you, you need to put slippers on. Because quite frankly, it's not going to, it's not going to be warm. When it's cold outside, the floors are going to be cool. Now, in northern states, they install heat strips under the flooring in order to keep the floors warm. We just don't have long enough winters here to justify doing that. And keep in mind, when you have those, it's not a quick on and off. You turn that thing on, it heats the floors up. Uh, then later in the day, the temperatures rise. Now you're turning the air conditioner on to keep the house comfortable, yet you still got these floor heaters putting out heat even once you shut them off they're going to be putting out heat for several hours so we just don't deal with that we leave the floors the way they are uh, they're, they're just not made to be comfortable on our feet in the winter months and I, I know everybody's always wanting to put some type of insulation on it I will tell you the other thing is it doesn't save you any money on your energy bills because think about what heat does it rises so in the winter months the hot air is going up to the ceiling and your air conditioner is dropping down that keeps the floors a little cooler so when you're walking on them in the winter months your heat rises so your floors are naturally going to be cool uh, that's reason if you put your ceiling fans on reverse it'll pull air up and circulate that heat around better uh, you don't put the the fans where they're blowing down. You put them where they're in reverse and pulling air up. And quite frankly, that will make you a whole lot more comfortable than trying to insulate that floor in order to be comfortable. And like I said, put some slippers on or heavier socks or something in order to avoid having cold feet. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 